going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Going the Distance podcast presented by ImmaculateSports.com. Twitter's at Sports. Instagram is also at Sports. TikTok, YouTube, Immaculate Sports. It's episode 80. What a crazy week. Yeah. We got some big signings, MLB and NFL. We're going to preview March Madness, the Sweet 16. And uh, break down some uh, all these moves, pretty much all the big ones. Yeah, and we're adding a new segment to the show called Spotlight, uh, where we kind of just pick one thing. Maybe it's not within the past week that we saw, but something that we just want to talk about. Like if it's close, uh, close to our hearts, and there's it just doesn't fit in the exactly. show. Exactly, you know? something that we wouldn't be talking about normally. Uh, we'll see where it goes from there. Uh, but you know, we got to start with. Episode 80, what's your favorite number 80, Skyler? You took the big one here. Uh, So I'm going to go with Kellen Winslow Sr., um, Hall of Fame tight end for the Chargers. Many believe the greatest to ever play the position, which uh, I'm not upset if you believe that. You know, different eras, but uh, great guy. His son isn't, but but Kellen Winslow Sr., great guy. That's fair. Uh, I'm going with the two-time Offensive Player of the Year, Super Bowl champ, uh, or three-time Super Bowl champ, that is, my bad. Uh, 10-time All-Pro, 13-time Pro Bowler, Hall of Famer, uh, widely considered as the GOAT when it comes to wide receivers, most known for his time with the Oakland Raiders, uh, Jerry Rice. Yeah. Uh, Legendary Seahawks and Raiders receiver. I'm pretty sure those are the only two teams that Jerry Rice ever played for. Uh, as Skyler gets a nice little notification there, uh, but in all seriousness, seriousness though, Jer Bear, we know he's the goat. Yeah. Let's get to the opener now, Skyler. What is the best thing that you saw this past week? There were so many great games this weekend, uh, specifically college basketball, and we'll talk about the last one here. Arizona, the one seed, takes down TCU, the nine seed, eighty-five to eighty in overtime. Uh, it's just a great overall game there's some games that were close because the players were bad this game i didn't really feel that i just felt uh just two two teams with dominant athletes uh benedict matherin led the way for arizona 30 points and he's looking like a lottery pick in the draft looking like an aaron andrew whichever wiggins you prefer type of guy Uh, and it's good you know uh considering i picked arizona in my bracket they didn't lose that one March Madness was fun to watch, but I think it's pretty clear what my favorite thing that I saw this past week was going to be. And it's not too often in any sport that you have your favorite player that's not on your favorite team at the moment. And they become uh, a player onto your favorite team. It happened to me with Kevin Durant. And now it's happening with Devontae Adams as he got traded to the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, and I'm stoked to say the least. I uh, was napping when the news came out. I woke up, took a look at my phone, like I always do when I wake up from any sleep that I'm taking. And uh, I saw the news and I immediately jumped out of my bed, ran around the house and told my parents. And mm-hmm. from there it was history. Uh, I couldn't believe it at first. Obviously, it felt like I was still dreaming. But uh, Devontae's a raider. a little bit. Exactly. He Devontae Adams is a Raider and that's just sounds so crazy to think. Uh, he had his intro press conference today. Everything went well and uh, grew up a Raider fan and I'm happy that he's with us now. Let's get you on to the Make action. sure he's got an Uber account. Yeah. Sure. It should be all good. Yeah. Uh, Immaculate Sports Player of the Week now. We're not going with the, the main guys. People might take like a Matherin or uh, Drew Timmy. We're going with Doug Eater from St. Peter's leading his team to the Sweet 16, even though he didn't even start in these games. That's pretty uh, crazy. In the game against Kentucky, that overtime win that put St. Peter's on the map, I guess. Doug was amazing. 20 points, 5 of 7 from the field. He had 20 points with 5 made field goals, 8 of 8 from the line. Uh, and then in the game against Murray State, where they won again, Doug was just as good with 13 points, four sticks from the field. Uh, and I don't think we've ever would have mentioned a guy like Doug Edert 
uh, not even a starter on mm-hmm. St. Peter's uh, unless he did that stuff that he did this past week. So congrats to Doug and uh, he's on the wall, I guess. So uh, let's get to team reports. How, how, what have the Jets been doing this past week, man? Two pretty big signings this week. Uh, we'll start off with Tyler Conklin. We just missed it one day after the podcast. Uh, the tight end from the Vikings, three years, 21 million. Jets get another tight end who's capable of catching passes and kind of had a breakout year with all the injuries in Minnesota. I like that one. Uh, second one I want to talk about, Jacob Martin. Four years, 13.5 million for the young third down specialist pass rusher for Houston. And, uh, you know, a guy like this with this much athleticism, I'm completely fine giving him $4 million a year. Uh, and one last note we've been hearing from the Jets is that they love Drake London as their wide receiver one. And if the draft were today, they would probably draft them at some point in the top 10. So I'm not upset with that one either. Uh, we obviously need a receiver right now. We didn't uh, get involved with uh, Mari Cooper, Robert Will- Woods uh, trades here. So guess we're building through the draft. Yeah, not the worst thing to do right now with how competitive the AFC is. It might be a little bit better to just not try to go all in the, this early in, in the rebuild. So I like what the Jets are doing so far. Yes. Uh, but when it comes to my Raiders, when I looked at this last week, I think I had the shortest team report ever. Uh, <laughs> I said free agency started. We haven't done anything. Uh, and let's see what happens in the future. But we, uh, we've we made some moves, to say the least, in this past week. But let me just go over not all of them, but a few of them. We signed a backup QB, Garrett Gilbert. Uh, we signed a couple running backs, Amir Abdullah and Brandon Bolden. Uh, three wide receivers are now on the squad. Devontae Adams obviously being the main one. Matt Collins and Demarcus Robinson are some other receivers as well. Jacob Hollister signed with us. J- Jacob Johnson, fullback, signed with the Raiders. Uh, Bilal Nichols on the defensive side of the ball, signed as the tackle. Same thing with Vernon Butler. Chandler Jones got a big deal for the Raiders. Three years, $51 million uh, to be on the same Defense is Max Crosby. Chandler Jones says that Max Crosby is the best defensive player in all of football. I'm not sure if I agree with him, but I do like to hear that he's saying that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, with Chandler Jones coming in, we had to get rid or we didn't have to, but we got rid of Yannick Ngakwe. We sent him to the Colts in a trade for Rock Yassin, so we had a corner there. Another corner that we added was Anthony Averitt, and then some other linebackers that we got were Micah Kaiser and Kyler Fackrell, two solid depths linebackers wins when it comes to that position. So that's always good to see. It's been a very active week for the Raiders. And uh, what I'm hearing is that there's still going to be more to come. So that's very, very nice. There you go. Let's go ahead and get, yes, sir. Let's get to the spotlights. Uh, New segment talked about this a little bit earlier, Uh, but what is your spotlight on this week, Skyler? All right. Mine kind of has something to do with something we will talk about later, but it's a part of it that I don't think will be included. So I'll just get started. It's Baker Mayfield. Right now he doesn't have a spot. And I think what people aren't realizing is he's being compared to the 2022 quarterback draft class right now. Uh, We've been hearing that Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis, sorry, forgot about him, uh, looking like they are probably going to be top 10 picks this year. And I think that is the deciding factor here with Baker Mayfield, where he lands. I'll get into that later, but watch out for the draft class. I think Baker may be moved afterwards because these guys are looking like top 10 selections now. Yeah, I'm going to college baseball for my spotlight. And I'm talking about redshirt junior at the University of Tennessee, Ben Joyce. Uh, And this might be a name that we hear a lot in the next few years, especially with the MLB draft and rising up the ranks from there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because he throws 104. Uh, And it's not a lot. We don't really see that too often. It's not too often when you're a college college relieving pitcher that you get an article written about you on MLB.com's website. Uh, And just something from Pitching Ninja, a guy on Twitter. uh, Really good follow if you're interested in pitching stuff. So recommend to go ahead and do that if you want. Uh, but this at bat uh, that he was shown from Ben Joyce, this is how it went: 102 fastball, 103 fastball, 104 fastball, 91 mile an hour changeup, and then back to the 102 mile an hour fastball for the strikeout. Uh, this dude has been amazing so far for Tennessee. He's pitched six and two thirds innings, hasn't allowed a run, 
I think he's only allowed like two or three hits. Uh, he's been dominating. So I think it's pretty, uh, pretty crazy that like the last two guys in college to do something like this, him and Garrett Crochet, both lefties from Tennessee. No, he's not a lefty. Uh, not? But still, Tennessee. Yeah. Both guys uh, from Tennessee. <laughs> exactly. Maybe we even see Ben Joyce in, in a bullpen this year. Who knows? That'd we'll see if that, that's a possibility because I know that happened with Crochet. Yeah. Then again, it's in a season where COVID year, everything gets weird. But still pretty cool to see somebody throwing 104 and see. We'll see what he can get to in the next coming years. Mm-hmm. Let's get to where's your head at now. And even though it might not be the most interesting that we're gonna interesting thing that we're gonna talk about this whole episode, we're gonna talk about it first because that's how we've been doing it the last few weeks, and that is our rankings in the NFL. We're doing outside linebackers and middle linebackers today. We have our top seven outside linebackers, and then we'll do the top five for middle linebackers. So why don't we get it started for those outside guys with number seven? All right. Well, uh, before we get to number seven, I just want to say I could probably do a list of. 20 of these guys. So I want to shout out some of the uh, honorable mentions here. Hassan Reddick, Leonard Floyd, Chandler Jones, Matt Judon. All amazing years. So we'll start off with number seven, Harold Landry, uh, Tennessee. Just resigned this guy uh, for a good reason. He's so fast off the edge and he had 12 and a half sacks. He was up there in deep boy talk uh, a little bit during the year. Yeah. Dude's a beast. Uh, I'm going with Matt Judon at number seven. Uh, I think he had his best year this past year, even though they had one forced fumble, sold like 13 sacks or whatever it was. So he just makes the end of my list uh, at number seven. Let's get to number six. Number six, I'm going to go with Shaq Barrett. Maybe a down year for him, but he's still young. And a man likes to attack the ball when he's rushing the passer. Lots of strip sacks. Yes, sir. Uh, Number six for me, uh, I know he had a – he had five sacks in week one and then only had five and a half sacks the rest of the season after that. But he still had six forced fumbles and four pass defense. That's a new Raider, Chandler Jones. Uh, watched some more film of him over this past week or so, obviously. And he he's pretty fun to watch. So number six, I think it seems fair. Not too high, not too low uh, for a man who has over 100 sacks in his career. Let's get to number five. Number five, I'm going to go with Von Miller. Not the youngest guy, but we saw in the playoffs, still as productive as ever. I'm going with a guy uh, that had 18 and a half sacks this past season. That's Robert Quinn. I know Skyler had him as yeah. uh, an edge rusher or, or BN last week, uh, but I guess in this Bears system, he plays more of an outside linebacker spot. Uh, 18 and a half sacks. I mean, do I need to say more? Like that's that's pretty yeah. remarkable. Let's get to number four. We go with Demario Davis, one of my favorite players in the NFL. Uh, great in coverage and rushing the passer, so he gets a little boost for me here. Awesome year leading the Saints. Uh, they were rolling until all their quarterbacks got hurt. Yeah, Demario Davis is beast. I put him and Darius Leonard in middle linebacker spots for me. Okay, so that's just kind of how I see them playing more. They play more of a traditional middle linebacker, so that's what I got there. Uh, but number four for me is going to be Von Miller. He's I don't, I don't know if he's the, the most fun to watch, but he is just – it's so interesting to just watch Von Miller rush the passer because he just has so many different moves. He's so quick. He's been doing it for so long, and I'm happy that he did not go back to the Broncos. Uh, you can stay terrorizing uh, Mr. Zach Wilson in Buffalo. All right. Get to number three. Number three, I'm going to go with Micah Parsons, rookie of the year. Uh, just – an absolute menace off the edge and should be for years to come. Yeah. Number three for me is a former depoy. That is Khalil Mack. He's not as good as what he once was, but he's still stuck. Telling he's, yourself that. No, he, he isn't. <laughs> he isn't. Last, last year or so he dropped off in, in Chicago, I think. And that is stats prove that, but he's still really, really good. And number three on the list is not a bad spot. So that's what I got for Khalil. Now on to number two. Yeah, number two is going to be Khalil Mack for me. Uh, and again, you know, it's only one spot difference. I just, I feel like new colors moving to LA. Uh, Khalil Mack's just going to grab his opportunities by the balls here and uh, just wreak havoc against uh, a lot of great quarterbacks this year. 
Yeah, we'll see. Uh, number two for me, Michael Parsons. And I think this speaks more to what I think of Michael Parsons than what I, mm. I think of uh, Khalil Mack because we had that flipped a little bit. Michael Parsons is a beast. Uh, and only in his rookie year, and he's already at this spot right now, it's going to be crazy to watch. Uh, and, and him and TJ Watt, I, I know they're really never going to go neck and neck, but watching those guys compete, oh, how many sacks did he get this week? Did he force a fumble this week? Whatever it is, it's going to be, it's going to be fun to watch over these next few years for sure. And now on to number one, which it's going to be TJ Watt for both mm-hmm. of us. Yeah, TJ Watt, deploy for obvious reasons here. Uh, imagine what his numbers would look like if he stayed healthy all those yeah. games. And yeah, he's coming TJ back Watt's for more. <laughs> yeah, I don't really have much to say about TJ Watt. If, you, if you're curious about him, you shouldn't be curious about him at this point because he's well well known, obviously, but dude's a beast. Let's get on the to middle linebackers. At this point, yeah. But, I mean, career-wise, no. Will he? To say that he even has a chance is pretty remarkable. But total career, I don't think – I think that's pretty damn hard. But Yeah, J.J. Watt's kind of the heart of Houston. You know, the only heart they've ever had. <laughs> So let me I, see. I kind of agree with you. How many Pro Bowls does JJ Watt have? Let look this up real quick. Yeah. Or all pros, I guess, because Pro Bowls don't mean anything. Uh oh, yeah, the same amount. Five all pros, three time defensive player of the year. Then there's TJ. He's obviously quite a bit younger. Three time all pro defensive player of the year, obviously, this past year. Mm-hmm. He has a chance. I don't know if he will because I think you really have to get to that three D poise. And I think mm-hmm. the defensive players in today's game are more competitive to that defensive player of the year spot than they were with, with JJ Watt. And that's not taking sure. anything away from JJ Watt's stuff. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think JJ's got his spot to stay. All right. Let's get to middle linebackers. So uh, any honorable mentions or any anybody outside of this top five you want to mention? Andre Campbell, Deion Jones, Denzel Perriman, Bobby Wagner. That's fair. I didn't even list Denzel. Uh, Denzel is fun to watch. Super good tackler, uh, but didn't make my top five. Uh, I'll go first with my top five, though. Uh, number five, I'm going to put Foye Aluakong. This guy had 190 tackles this past year, three first fumbles, three picks. The year before, over 100 tackles, three forced fumbles, three picks. Pretty consistent, and I know he probably won't produce the same in Jacksonville, but he's one of my favorite linebackers to watch play and run around. Uh, and that's why I got Foye at number five. I also have Foye Alokon. Oh, I thought you number looked five. at me like, like you were shocked. No, no. I, well, I am shocked that we you, have him. Both you were five. happy that I, yeah. that I put him in the same spot. Okay. Yeah. Good. Great in coverage. And I feel like that's probably the only good Jacksonville signing this year. So, yeah, I said that, uh, that he was my most underrated signing. I yeah. think I said that. I think Brandon Scherf's, Pretty good signing as well. I think it's just too much money for a guy who plays 10 games every year. That's fair. But Alua Kong's a stud. Next up, number four is Demario Davis. The Raiders haven't played the Saints too often these past few years, but when I did watch Demario Davis play against the Raiders, this dude is really, really, really good. Uh, And I think he's very, very underappreciated, underappreciated when it comes to this stuff. Uh, does everything right. Skyler got to see him firsthand for a couple years uh, with the Jets. Mm-hmm. And DeMario is a fucking dog. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Roquan Smith at number four. Pretty much a, a very similar description of how Roquan Smith plays. He's just a dog all over the field. Fast, strong, smart, baller. Yeah. Uh, number three for me is kind of more of a respect pick. Uh, he's still a beast, just got cut from his team. That's Bobby Wagner, uh, one of the best middle linebackers to ever play. One of the biggest Seattle football legends there probably ever is up there, Russell Wilson, obviously. Uh, but Bobby, Bobby's a goat, man. I think you got to put him on this list somewhere. This is interesting to me because one of my guys in the top three is not in your top five then. So we'll get Maybe. there. We'll get Maybe. there. Number three, I have Fred Warner. Uh, just an absolute uh, monster in coverage. Yeah. You know, that's 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 his thing. You know, <laughs> it's, 
Yeah, Fred does everything. That's a superlative right there. Yeah. Number two for me is going to be Fred Warner. He is a beast. I'm kind of curious now at this point if I'm forgetting somebody or whatever because Skeller said that there is someone, but we shall see. Fred Warner does everything well, uh, but he's not as good as the guy at number one, uh, which I'll say in a few minutes. All right, number two for me is going to be Devin White. This is, in my opinion, the fastest defensive player in the league. It's uh, very fun to watch him. I left Devin White off my list. I think he is very, very good. But I think some of these other guys are better at being the middle linebacker. You know? Okay. Like, the Devin White has a lot of these better raw tools. But some of these other guys are better at completing the job of being the middle linebacker. And number one for me uh, is a guy who I think should have gotten more defensive player of the year recognition. That's Darius Leonard. One of my favorite players to watch in the, in the league. He's fast. He's a great tackler. He does everything right. He has a knack for getting the football out on tackles. Yeah, the hands of a receiver. He's he's really, really good. Yeah. Uh, and the heart of that indie defense over there, that they got some studs too. And yeah, Darius Leonard's my number one as well. Uh, he's the best. He's the best linebacker. Yeah, and I wish Madden gave him better cards because he, I want to use him on the Mutt Squad every now and then, but it doesn't happen too often. Yeah. Let's talk about another Colts player now, uh, Matt Ryan, getting traded from the Atlanta Falcons to the Colts for a third round pick. Pretty interesting deal when you look at the stuff in these trade returns with what the Colts got back for Carson Wentz being a lot more than what they gave up. For Matt Ryan, and when, in my opinion, I think Matt Ryan's just as good, if not better, than Carson Wentz when it comes to this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but does does Matt Ryan make the Colts an AFC contender? Absolutely. This is their best quarterback since Andrew Luck. They got the same old line, the same running back, Jonathan Taylor, who got MVP votes. Um, amazing defense that only needed one thing, in my opinion, to improve, and they got it. That's another edge rusher, Yannick Ngakwe. Uh, so I think they'll be just fine, definitely win the division. I am saying no. I don't think it does make the Colts uh, AFC contenders, and that's kind of more based off of how good the AFC is around them. I don't think they're the best team in the division. I think the Titans are better. That trio that they got of pass rushers, the solid secondary, Derrick Henry, A.J. Oops. Brown, and now – what? <laughs> Derrick Henry, AJ Brown, and now uh, Bobby Woods as well. I think he's a pretty good addition over there in Tennessee. Uh, if the Colts were in the NFC, then yeah, they'd be contenders, but they're not. So that's tough. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we get to the Watson situation, which is the other big quarterback move that we saw this past week. Uh, does Deshaun Watson make the Browns not only AFC contenders, but Super Bowl contenders? No, I think this is the worst roster in the North. Uh, Watson is good enough to uh, and should carry them past Pittsburgh, so they should be in that three spot. But and maybe a wild card shot. But uh, it, it's just they're going to see this year. You know, Baker Mayfield's not crying wolf. It's uh, very difficult to win there, and Watson's definitely going to feel that this year. Yeah, I don't think uh, Watson makes the Browns Super Bowl contenders. I think what would make the Browns Super Bowl contenders is adding a weapon or two for him to throw to. And I know Amari Cooper is a solid receiver, but at this point in his career, I don't think he's a number one. I think he was a number one when he first went to Dallas and that year after that and maybe one of the years with the Raiders. But now at this point, with what he's been with with the Cowboys, he is a number two. He's a very high-end number two, a low-end number one. Uh, and you just can't cut it in the NFL nowadays with having one decent receiver. I know the run game is great. I know having Nick Chubb is surreal and, and crazy because that, that dude is an insanely fun runner to watch, and he obviously has this crazy yards per carry and all that stuff. They got Kareem Hunt. I mean, Kareem Hunt and Deshaun Watson are a very interesting duo. We're not going to talk about that part too much because we do not want to have legal issues, but the defense is good. But unfortunately, the AFC is very, very good. And it does not make the Browns Super Bowl contenders. I think they could sneak into a wild card spot. And we'll talk more about that here in a few minutes. But before we do, we're going to talk about some QBs that might not find some homes. Uh, (laughs) 
First one's going to be Baker Mayfield. Is there a starting spot for Baker Mayfield in 2022? As of right now, no. Uh, You know, teams like Houston, if they really wanted him, they would have got him in the trade. Mm -hmm. Um, Carolina said they don't want him. The Saints signed Jameis Winston. Uh, so, so right now I'm going to say no. And like I said earlier, this is a situation where Baker's going to have to wait until the draft's over, see if a team like Pittsburgh missed out on their guy and then they would go after Baker. Uh, and I think he will be moved this year, even if he has to be cut because I think he will be somebody's backup. Maybe someone like Arizona. He's worked with Kingsbury. I know they love Colt McCoy, but we'll see if, if any more drama happens with Kyler. Uh, but that's pretty much the only spot that pops up in my head right now. Maybe Seattle after the draft, if they don't want somebody or miss out on somebody, they would go after him. But no, no starting spot. I I think it's so weird because I don't really see an NFL where Baker Mayfield isn't a starter next year. I think he's I don't think he's a great quarterback, but I think he's a good enough quarterback to be a starter on one of Definitely. these Definitely. Well, the, the thing, I'm sorry for jumping in here, but, the, you know, the, it's not his ability. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's his attitude. That's what's not getting him calls right now. Mm-hmm. And I think also it comes with the opportunities as well. Uh, the only few openings I really see would be Seattle. I think it's in Seattle's best interest to not be a good football team this year and go ahead and try to get a C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young this next season. And trading for Baker Mayfield, giving up draft capital to go ahead and do that stuff would make you a seven-win team, perhaps. And that wouldn't do Seattle anything good because even with Baker Mayfield, whatever they do, in best-case scenario, they're not even close to to being a a good enough team to really compete in in the league. And then there's Carolina. But Carolina, I don't think, really trades for a quarterback. I think they would draft a guy if they do because yeah, – They gave Sam Donald $18 million this year. So. <laughs> yeah, and they, they traded for him just a year ago. I think it's a little too early to come to that stuff. Falcons, I think the Falcons' best interest, if they were to get another QB, would be through the draft because they just signed Marcus Mariota. Who has you know familiarity in the system. Yeah, that's also true. Uh, and then when it comes to the other teams – I don't think the Giants do it. I really don't think that'd be a giant move. They already right got now, their backup. I, I I don't think I don't that know. wins the fan base over, and I think that's partially the things that the the Giants front office is trying to do right now is to to win over the that that fan base. Hmm. Uh, and getting Baker obviously would not do that, and the rest of the teams just won't. They either have a rookie QB or they have their their franchise QB set out for them. Uh, or you got so someone like Nick Foles you know, already there, you know, mm-hmm. backing up your young guy. Yeah. So a starting spot for Baker uh, is not as weird as it seems is not going to be uh, what's going to happen for him in, in this mm-hmm. next year, in my opinion. Uh, and then that brings us to the next QB, which I think is a, a tier below or maybe two tiers below Baker Mayfield. And that's Jimmy Garoppolo. What, like what's going to happen to Jimmy at this point, man? <laughs> I think it's a similar situation. He's just got to wait and see you know, if, if for whatever reason, someone trades up in front of Seattle and Seattle doesn't get to take their quarterback, if that's their decision, if they want to have a rookie, like you said, I know Bryce Young's got to be on their minds too, but uh, it's just a little worse for Jimmy here. Um, I think he's got to hold off another year because of the shoulder surgery and maybe who knows if Trey Lance isn't ready or Trey Lance gets hurt. I know he could play a little reckless. Jimmy steps in and wins him some games. Then his his, uh, trade stocks back up to where it was a year ago, you know, Mm -hmm. and he's fine. So not, not today for Jimmy. Yeah. I think the Niners missed the boat when it came to to trading Jimmy away. And there was all that heartfelt press conference that we saw a couple months ago after they lost to the Rams of him saying goodbye to the fan base. But in the reality of it now, I think there's a higher chance that Jimmy Garoppolo is on the Niners roster next year than he's on any other team uh, in the NFL this next season. Uh, There's just no opening for him and there's no team that would, it doesn't already have their bridge quarterback if that's what they wanted to do or ha, ha, needed a, need an extra guy to step in there. I just. Another situation where a team like Pittsburgh's like, no, we'll, we'll roll with Trubisky and, and a yeah. rookie. We're fine. I don't, th- <laughs> I don't think there's, I don't think there's a single team in the NFL that would be like, yeah, let, let's take on Jimmy G man. Let, let's do, let's go ahead and do that. 
And so for the Niners, I wouldn't be 100% shocked with Shanahan's love for Garoppolo that he is the week one starter because is Lance ready? Is he? I mean, there, I see all the stuff of him working out with Ayuk and all the stuff. But One way to find out, throw him out there. But yeah, so <laughs> who knows if they, I, they'll do it. I think the Niners with their QB situation was just so – it's just so weird uh, with what they're doing because – with Trey Lance, I think it was prematurely to even get rid of Garoppolo. We don't even know what you have yet in Trey Lance. And when you have another QB on the roster that the team loves, fan base somewhat loves, the rest of the NFL doesn't really get that love. But that's besides the point. Like, you got to go ahead and see what Trey Lance has. And they just didn't do that. I know they're winning games with Garoppolo, but you got to see what you got in a guy like Trey. <laughs> We're going to talk about the AFC now. There's a whole bunch of AFC teams that are Super fun. Bowl contenders, uh, wild cards contenders, whatever you want to call them. There's a whole bunch of really good teams. So we are going to do our early AFC seeding predictions. This isn't anything official. This is just what's floating around in our mind right now with how the teams are obviously far away from the draft. Or not far away, but about a month away from the draft. Free agency is in town. There's going to be more trades. There's going to be injuries and stuff. Uh, but as of right now, we're going to go over the seeding one through seven. Uh, do you have any teams that just missed out of the cut that you want to talk about first? I don't want to give it away, so I'll talk about it after. Gotcha. I think I'll do the same yeah. thing. Uh, seven seeds, Geller. I want to start. Uh, if you don't object, I would rather start from one because okay. I feel oh. like I feel like five through seven is is the biggest uh, of our Question opinion. Mark. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. Number one. All right. I'm going to go with the Baltimore Ravens as my one seed. Lamar is my pick for comeback player of the year. They're my pick to go to the Super Bowl. Lose, but go to the Super Bowl. A uh, lot coming back. They paid a lot of money on the defense, and uh, they should be one of the most improved teams overall. One seed. It's an interesting thing because uh, there's a whole <laughs> bunch of range here because yeah. we'll see where I got the Ravens and stuff like that. Uh, but one seed for me is Buffalo Bills. I think they are currently in probably the easiest division, in the, or not the easiest, but – the second easiest right behind the South. Uh, and I think they're going to do pretty well this season with their, yeah. with their schedule and what they got. So I can see 14, even 13 wins being this one seed with how competitive uh, that, that AFC will be. And let's get to the two seed now. All right. My two seats, Kansas city. Uh, I don't think they're going to be bothered by much. Uh, and they've proven that in the past. So I know, the division's looking a lot better, but I think they'll be pretty unfazed in the regular season, at least. Number two for me is going to be the Chargers. I think the Chargers are the most complete team when it comes to the AFC West. Uh, they got a great pass rush, a good secondary. They have a good offense. Uh, and even though they're not the Chiefs, I, I just think this team has a good chance to put it all together this year. As much as I don't want to say it, I I mean, you got to just look at the roster and, and boom, they're right there. So I think the Chargers go ahead and win the AFC West for the first time in a lot, a lot of years. All right. Number three seed. Number three seeds, Buffalo for me. One, two, three are pretty close for me here. Like you said, Buffalo should be just fine in the, in the AFC East this year. Number three for me is going to be the Titans. I think the Titans won their division. I don't know about handily now with uh, the Colts getting Matt Ryan, but having those four games against Houston and Jacksonville are really going to help them when it comes to the seeding stuff because the Raiders, the Chiefs, the Browns, the Bengals, the Chargers, the Bills don't have those those four pretty cakewalk games in, in the Jags and the Texans. So Titans win their division and get that number three seed. Right. Not a number four. My four seed is going to be the Colts, like we just talked about. I uh, I have them just a notch over over Tennessee here. Maybe in in my situation, they win the tiebreaker. Uh, I I just I really like what they're doing. Matt Ryan's not going to make any mistakes. You know, he's not going to have that game against Jacksonville where he can't complete a pass. So that's the difference. Yeah. Also, I'll, I'll talk about why where I put the Colts, uh, mm -hmm. but I'll explain some things when it comes to that. Uh, to them uh, later too. Number four for me, though, is going to be the Bengals. They were the AFC rep last season. And I think it's, I got to give them the respect that they earned this past year by having them win their division again this season. Uh, I think Burrow, Chase, 
all those guys on that offensive side and well as on that defensive side established a winning culture in Cincinnati, which is not something you that we have seen in our lifetime. I know even with those teams that consistently made the playoffs, they didn't do anything in the playoffs. But I think that culture is there now for Cincy, and I think they're just going to build off of that and go ahead and get that four seed next season. On to number five. Number five, I have the Chargers here. I think this is the top of the non-winners, in my opinion. You know, possibly 11 games here. Justin Herbert should only grow. You know, they uh, probably going to get another receiver, but lots of things retaining on the offense. They bought a brand-new defense. Like we talked about Khalil Mack, J.C. Jackson. They should be solid this year. Number five, Skeller might smile at me for this one, but I got the raid. I got the Raiders at number five. I think, I think every, and why I didn't put the chiefs at number five is because I think every single team in the AFC West has been built to beat the chiefs. So when it comes to those divisional games, it's going to be a lot harder for them. Even if they may still win some, it's going to be a lot harder for them than it's been these past few years, especially where they just killed the Broncos and beat the Raiders pretty handily. And, Handled the Chargers pretty well as well, obviously. Uh, but I I wouldn't be or I don't know how to say this. Uh, I w- would not be surprised if the Raiders have the best offense in the league. They have a top 12 running back. They have one of the best slot receivers in the game. They have the best receiver in all of football on their team now. And they have a top three tight end. So when you put all those things together, mixed with a quarterback who might not be elite, but is still in that category of good to very good, uh, that best offense is going to wreck some havoc and win some games, hopefully, for us in Las Vegas this upcoming season. On to number six. Number six is where I have the Bengals. You know, I uh, I guess I kind of feel bad for not having them win the division. But, you know, in my scenario, you know, too bad. It's it's the Ravens scenario. All right. So they get the wild card spot. Another team who should win at least 10 games here. Uh, like you said, the culture's there. They're going to run it back. Try to do it again. Number six for me is going to be the Chiefs. They are the Chiefs. I mean, they added Juju. They added Justin Reed. They lost Tyron Matthew, which I think is going to play a bigger role than what a lot of people think. Uh, and losing some of the those tertiary or secondary options that Patrick Mahomes has, like a Byron Pringle or Demarcus Robinson, will, will hurt them quite a little bit. And I know adding Juju is big, but the connection that they've he's had with those guys over the past few years, especially with Byron Pringle over this last season, Look to be coming on pretty well. Uh, it's going to hurt the Chiefs a little bit. And it doesn't help that every single team in their division made some pretty damn big moves. Mm-hmm. Next up, the last spot in the AFC. And then we'll talk those teams that are just out. Uh, who do you got the seventh spot? In the seventh spot, I have the Tennessee Titans here. I think a very important thing for the AFC, especially these last couple of seasons, is going to be division wins try to get all the tiebreakers possible. And this is one of the best to, to get those division wins when you're playing Jacksonville and Houston. Uh, my first two out are going to be the Raiders and the Dolphins. You know, they're in tough divisions, but I think both of those teams are going to unlock something. I know the Raiders made the playoffs, but uh, they were kind of skating there a little bit midway through. Uh, I think both of those teams will stop the skate, unlock their potential, but it just won't be enough in – the wild, wild AFC this year. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. Uh, the Browns are my seventh seed. I think if this is the scenario, if Deshaun Watson does not receive any suspension, yeah. if he receives a suspension, obviously all the stuff goes and goes into a whirlwind and we'll see what happens from there. But I'm not going to talk about that unless that happens. Uh, the Browns are a really damn good team, even without these weapons, uh, like a, I don't know who they would add at this point, but adding a wide receiver would help them a lot, like I was saying earlier. But even without those guys, it's still a very good team. Deshaun's a stud. Nick Chubb's a stud. Their offensive line is pretty good. Their defense has Miles Garrett on it, and whenever you have a guy like him, your defense is going to be pretty good. Denzel Ward's another stud as well. He's one of it. They do have him now. Uh, so all those guys combined creates a pretty good team, a wild card team. And then that goes to my – First out teams, uh, one of them being the Colts. Colts, I don't think have the weapons 
I really don't think they do. Michael Pittman's good. Jonathan Taylor's obviously a stud. But besides that, that's fair. Who else he got? You know, like their defense is good. Mo Ali Cox. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And then I have the Ravens just being barely out as well. I like the Ravens a lot. I just don't think this fits for them this year. Uh, Some things you don't have a reason for. You just see it or you have a feeling. uh, And that's, that's kind of what it comes to with the Ravens this past, this upcoming season, my opinion. And then the Broncos as well. Uh, Adding Russell Wilson helps them a lot, but then again, you're still throwing the ball. Uh, to no tight end now at this point, I know Albert O's solid, but he's not, he's not a, a Waller. He's not a Kelsey. I'm not saying that he needs to be, but in this case, kind of need to be Uh wide receivers are solid. Judy Sutton, Tim Patrick, but none of them really stand out in the division. And I wouldn't be shocked if they go one and five or Oh, and six in that very stacked AFC West this season. So if you can't win any division games, I don't think there's a spot for you in the playoffs. Uh-huh. Uh, Patriots, I didn't even think about, but I don't think they make it. Steelers, same thing. It's a bridge year. Yeah, it's a bridge year. We'll see what happens with them, but that's all I got. My AFC playoffs stacking up, uh, and that is to be determined because we're going to be changing and shuffling a lot of those teams once it comes to the the mid-September when we're actually doing our stuff for for this. Mm -hmm. But let's go ahead and get to halftime because we are about 45 minutes in already and we're only halfway through. (laughs) Uh, Let's go ahead and talk about the worst thing that we saw this past week. Skeller, what was it? All right. The worst thing I saw on Sunday was Iowa State beating Wisconsin 54-49. to The third-ranked Badgers had one of the most powerful offenses in Division One, they were held to 49 points. Johnny Davis did have 17, but he shot four for 16. This should have been a coming out party for him, maybe uh, a great game and a getting to the Final Four with Auburn out uh, would would boost his draft, draft stock, but uh, it didn't. And they're out, and they didn't even score 50 points. That's the worst thing I saw. That's tough. My worst thing that I saw was the Miami Heat – Losing to the no Joel Embiid, no James Harden Sixers. Uh, I have been saying this in our PS5 parties a little while, uh, (laughs) that the Heat are a fake one seed. They are not as good as what they should be or what some people think they are. I had them as my fourth best team in the Western Conference. I think that's fair. They... I don't know. I I just think in a situation like that, you got to go ahead and win that game. The Heat had everybody in that game, I think, for all the depot, and depot isn't even playing much. But I mean, come on, Heat! Like you got to go ahead and win that game. <laughs> go ahead and get to Sweet Sixteen preview, Skyler. The floor is yours. All right, we got the eight games here. Talk about them a little bit. We'll start it off. By the way, starts on Thursday, the twenty fourth. Yep. Number one seed Gonzaga is playing number four seed Arkansas. Gonzaga is favored by nine. I think that's fair. Gonzaga is looking like the best team in the nation. You know, they, they did get the number one overall seed. So I uh I would tune in for Chet Holgren, Drew Timmy, but should be a pretty easy one for the Bulldogs. Uh the next game we got two seed Villanova against the eleven seed Michigan Wolverines. Kind of an odd matchup here. Villanova is favored by five, but Michigan's got some great shooters and some five-star athletes. I think I'm leaning towards the Wolverines here, surprisingly. Next game, we got number two-seeded Duke. They're the underdogs by one game against number three, Texas Tech. I'll talk more about that game a little later, but probably the best matchup we've had so far in this tournament. The last game on Thursday, one-seeded Arizona, favored by a point and a half against Houston, one of the best defensive teams in the nation. Houston's my team. Going with them. Zona time. First game on Friday, it's going to be three-seeded Purdue against 15-seed St. Peter's. I don't want to say this is going to be an easy one for Purdue because St. Peter's has proved us wrong two times so far. But Purdue's favored... By 12 and a half points, Purdue's got 
one of the best guards in the nation, Jaden Ivey, and a seven foot four center. I'm pulling for St. Pete. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm pulling for him too. I just don't see it happening. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's fair. Peacocks. I didn't see them being Kentucky either, though. So you never know. That's true. That's true. I know we did. We watched so much St. Peter's film before that game. I don't know how we missed that pick. Exactly, man. It's crazy. Crazy. <laughs> the next game, one seeded Kansas. Second on four seeded Providence, another game that should be pretty good. Kansas is favored by seven and a half, though. And uh, Kansas, if you don't think it's Gonzaga, Kansas has been the second. Kansas is a sleeper team, team, man. I don't think a lot of team, a lot of people are talking about them. I agree. Kansas looking good against Providence. Next game, number four, UCLA against number eight, North Carolina. UCLA is favored by two and a half. I have UCLA going to the final four, but Jaime Jaques, the power forward, the low post legend, has an injury, lower body, so maybe out for this one. It's tough. We'll check in on that one, but if he's ready to play, I think UCLA should have no problem. And the last game, number 10, Miami, favorites against number 11, Iowa State, good to see two double-digit seeds in the Sweet 16 playing each other. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I uh, Another game where I'll give a little more in-depth pick when we get to it later. But interesting with the double digits, Iowa State-Miami. Yeah. And uh, that's the uh, Sweet 16 preview. Yeah. Right. Did you have NFL. NFL or MLB? I had MLB. Okay. All right. So we'll talk about some of the other NFL signings that happened uh, – Recently, I think an hour ago, Teron Armstead, former Saints offensive lineman, is going to Miami. The Dolphins, five years, $75 million. That's a pretty big move for them. Uh, Zadarius Smith, three years, $42 million, going from the Packers to the Vikings. Vikings trying to make a push here. Maybe they uh, realize they're... Run here could be a little short, their window. Leonard Fournette coming back to Tampa Bay. Uh, Jerion Kearse. I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name. Jerron Kearse. Jerron Kearse. That's yeah. an odd way to spell it. <laughs> $10 million coming back to Dallas for two years. So they retain the safety. Jamison Crowder. Former receiver going to Buffalo for one year. Jamis Winston. Gets paid $2 million, all guaranteed, back to New Orleans. Pretty interesting. We talked about Matt Ryan getting traded to Indianapolis. Marcus Mariota, again, going to Atlanta, looking like he's going to be the starter at least to start the year. Lyle Collins signs a three-year deal with Cincinnati. That is the right tackle from Dallas. Big deal. Robert Tanyan, one year with Green Bay after the tag. Russell Douglas goes back to Green Bay, three years, $21 million. Robert Woods traded for a sixth-round pick from the Rams to Tennessee. Kyle talked about that one Good a value. little bit. Great value. Darius Slay going to the Eagles. What? Love that one, too. What? Darius Slay's been on the Eagles. Yeah. Oh. Darius Slay converted his salary into a signing bonus clearing. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Sorry. He's been on the Eagles for two years, man. I had, I had, I have everything up right now. I apologize. Cordero Patterson back to Atlanta for two years. Juju Smith-Schuster one year with Kansas city. Sean Watson. We talked about that. Anything else I'm missing here? I don't think so. Uh, no. Sorry. I, I didn't have a, you know, a more, a better list. I could have rewritten it by notables, but I didn't think of that. So it's all good. We'll go ahead and get to MLB now because that free agency is still going on, even yeah. though they're in spring training right now. Uh, we left off on March 15th. That was the last episode. So here's some of the news that has happened since. Braves resigned Eddie Rosario to a two year deal with $18 million. The Reds and the Royals swapped pitchers. Amir Garrick going to Kansas City for Mike Minor. Interesting move by the Reds, but uh, I guess that's what they did. Zach Ranky returned to where it all started, uh, to Kansas City. So pretty cool there. Pretty typical Zach Ranky move, though. Uh, Cubs landed Sia Suzuki 
the Very top nice. prospect from Japan's the season, five years, $85 million with thumb. So that's a pretty big deal there. Kyle Schwarber going to the Phillies, uh, a big bat going into that Phillies lineup. There'll be another one to talk to or talk about here in the, the next few minutes as well. The Blue Jays get Matt Chapman from the A's and that return, Gunnar Hogland, Kevin Smith, uh, Kirby Sneed, and one other Ryan person, Ryan Cusick. Yeah, I think Ryan Cusick was in the Braves deal. Never mind. <laughs> but there is one other pitcher in that deal that I'm blanking on. Uh, but uh, I don't know. It'll come to me later or it won't. There to be named later. Soon. Uh, Chris Bryant signed with the Rockies. Pretty big deal. Seven years, $182 million there. Uh, Andrew Chapin, former A's closer, is going to the Tigers on a two-year deal over there. One of the biggest ones, if not the biggest one, is Freddie Freeman going to L.A. on a six-year deal, $162 million there. So pretty pretty substantial move there for the Doyers. Uh, the Padres got Luke Voigt in a deal with the Yankees for Alex Lange, I believe, was a prospect that went back to the Yankees in that one. Good pickup. For the Padres, I don't think it's the premier move that people are going to be looking at, but it is a pretty interesting one uh, when you really look into it uh, a little bit. Braves brought in longtime Dodger closer Kenley Jansen. I don't think we saw this happening going into the offseason, but, I mean, we didn't see Freddie Freeman leaving the the Braves in the first place, and that happened. Uh, The other Phillies move that I was hinting at a bit earlier is the Phillies getting – Free agent outfielder Nicholas Castellanos for a five-year, $100 million contract. When this got tweeted out by John Heyman, he accidentally put $200 million, and I started flipping shit because mm-hmm. 40, 40 AAV would have been quite interesting for Nicholas Castellanos. But uh, good deal there for the Phillies. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Uh, World Series MVP predicted by me, Jorge Soler, mm-hmm. uh, signs with the Marlins. Three-year, $36 million deal there carlos correa signs with the twins none of us thought carlos correa would go to the twins i thought he would go to an afc or not afc al central squad in the tigers but he lands with the twins creates an interesting infield with jorge polanco Gio Urshela, and carlos correa uh but who knows we'll talk about the twins more a little bit later another move we'll talk about more Later is Trevor Story going to the Red Sox on a $140 million deal over six seasons. Uh, so good job there. And that just about gets us through pretty much everything. Uh, still waiting on Frankie Montas and Sean Mania to be traded. Mm-hmm. The Reds have said that they are likely not to trade Luis Castillo and Tyler Maley. So that Wonder what they're Montas doing. and Mania's <laughs> value, which I'm completely okay with. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, kind of interesting there by the Reds. They kind of have a fire sale, but not really have a fire sale. So that franchise has always been interesting. Uh, we're going to get into good move or bad move, though. Breaking down return. the big boys. Exactly. We return from halftime back into where's your head at. First thing we're going to talk about, Chappie the Blue Jays. Do you like the move from – you can talk about both sides or the mm. A's or just the Blue Jays, whatever you want to do. Uh, Chappie also, I feel like I should note this did sign a two year, $25 million deal with the blue Jays. Once he got there, that takes him through his arbitration years mm-hmm. with the blue Jays, uh, and sets him up for that free agency after 2023, uh, where he yeah. would have been a free agent anyways. So Chappie, the blue Jays, I think both sides benefit from this one. You know, Chappie's coming back from the hip surgery, uh, and looking like he should be a hundred percent ready to go. The last time he was a hundred percent, he was awesome. He was one of the most valuable players in the American league. And, uh, I think Toronto should be ecstatic. The last time a a trade like this happened, they completely screwed the A's over and got Donaldson the MVP. Yeah. Uh, I like this move for the blue Jays. I don't think they gave up too much. Uh, and they had a guy that has a lot of upside to him. Uh, I think the A's fans know this West or know this the most, but Chappie wasn't himself this past few years. And, you really pay attention to it you understand why is because he was hurt for yeah. a, a lot of the year and even though he wasn't on the injured injured list whatever you want to call it ILDL uh he was still feeling that hip from the year before and he, he even said it in his interview 
that he had a few days ago with the Blue Jays, or maybe it was still his time with the A's, that he he didn't really have time to get stronger when in that season, the off season the year before, and then hop right back into the season in 2021. Uh, and he didn't really have, he had time to heal that injury, but he didn't have time to get stronger in the off season. So I think Chapter of the Blue Jays is a good deal there. The A's get some decent prospects, nothing too crazy. Uh, and that leads us into the next move for the Freddie yeah. Freeman, not the Freddie Freeman. I guess the Freddie Freeman. He goes to the Dodgers. Yeah, again, I, I think this is another move where both sides are going to benefit. Right now, Freeman is a little salty about leaving Atlanta, but I, I really think he's going to forget soon after he gets in that clubhouse with the Dodgers. And the Dodgers side of it, they needed a left-handed bat so badly, and they just got one of the best of them in the middle of their order. So a win-win situation here. Also, Freeman gets the bag. Yeah, uh, good job from Freddie Freeman. Uh, I think he wanted to be a brave, but that situation didn't work out too well for him. Dodgers create the best lineup in all baseball. Plus plus on both sides when yeah. it comes to this story to the Red Sox. Interesting one. Uh, yeah. But what do you think on this one? Another one I really like, you know, DJ LeMahieu hit perfectly fine in the AL East. And uh, I think Trevor story will too, with no problem. And the Boston side, they're going to lose Xander Bogarts. Okay, next year, he's going to get paid two or three times more than this Trevor Story signing. So it seems very safe to me. You know, maybe uh, an organizational standpoint, they would rather keep Xander Bogarts in the long run. But this signing specifically, I love it. Safe. He can move over from second, short to third, wherever. You know, great fielder. Yeah, I think it's a good move from the Red Sox to get one of the better infields in the league. AFC, God, I keep saying AFC. AL East is is comparable to the AFC West in, in the way that there is four really, really good teams and there's the Orioles, but four really, really good teams. And it's an arms race when it comes to that division right now. And Trevor Story getting added to that is a big part for the Red Sox. And I think that throws them a bit more into the, the contention part of it. Cause when I was looking at the roster the past few days before that move, I just, I looked at the team and I go, is this really a playoff team? Is this, is this the fourth best team in their division? And I don't think that would have gotten them into the playoffs, <coughs> but now obviously helps them out quite a bit. And on the player side of it, I don't think that's the best deal for, for Trevor's story. I think when you go into this, uh, this offseason or not, I guess offseason, but when you go into your free agency as a guy like Trevor Story and you come up out of it with a spot where you're not even playing shortstop, I know you got $140 million, but you're a shortstop and you're not going to be playing shortstop for, I mean, we'll see if Xander Bogarts goes. Mm -hmm. If he does go, then he will play short, but you might not be playing shortstop for the rest of your career. Uh, And I don't know. I just don't understand the move by story. Obviously $140 million is a lot, but I would have thought there would have been some other teams that were giving them 140 and offering them to be that starting shortstop for a solid team. Uh, but hey, if, if that's what you want to do, Trevor mm-hmm. story, go ahead and do it. Next up, Correa to the twins. I think it's fine for Correa. Uh, obviously, the market got soft after the lockout. It's not really up to him. Uh, but he does have that one-year opt-out. At first glance, it doesn't make a lot of sense for Minnesota. But uh, thinking about it, maybe because Cleveland didn't really do anything, that's what they're thinking. They can surpass Cleveland. And if uh, Correa is on board with what they're doing, he'll, he won't opt out. They can get some more pieces. This move is okay. I'm gonna talk about Correa's spot first. Yeah. So three years, hundred and five million dollars, whatever it was. Uh, very highly paid. Uh, it's good on him to have those opt outs because if things don't go well in uh, Minnesota to start, they can go ahead and get, or he can go ahead and get out of there in a year and go get paid the open market again. Three hundred million dollars, or however much he wants to go, go ahead and get paid. But when you look at the Twins aspect of this, I I love this move. I really, really do. Because, I mean, I, I, I think I, 
I might overrate Gio Rochelle a little bit, but I think he's really, really good. He, the he's best a, third baseman, hands down, in the league. That's what A-Rod said, but <laughs> that is not fully true. I still think he's really, really good, though. You have Jorge Polanco, who's coming off a really good season. Mm-hmm. Yet you have Byron Buxton, who is, when healthy, uh, a beast, to say the least. You have Max Kepler, who's a solid corner outfielder you have these young prospects killer roth lonark whatever you want to i don't know how to say his name completely you add yeah you add correa to this lineup it's pretty damn good lineup pitching side of the ball not the best sunny gray and kenta maeda are their two starters right now that stand out to me but then again there is ranking montas there is a shamanaya that you can go ahead and trade for joe ryan coming up this year (laughs) you think i'm kidding He's nothing crazy. It's Joe Ryan. He's been up, man. Uh, but I like to move for the Twins. I think if things work out well, Craig can go ahead and sign their long term uh, to that big, big deal of a $200 million, $300 million contract. And he's out of our division. So I like it as well. Yeah. Uh, Chris Bryant to the Rockies. All right. You know, Coors is a very friendly place for hitters. And. Foolish Baseball was talking about this the other day. I think I was even talking with Kyle or Brad or somebody that years 30 through 34 are the most important for for a Hall of Fame player. And KB wants to make the Hall of Fame, and you can't blame him. You know, so I think that part of it's all right. For Colorado, they've had some questionable moves so far, but it got rid of bad contracts off the books. They're starting clean and they're going to be ready to strike again in a couple years this is like an expansion team getting their first round pick in chris bryant i know he's a little older but uh he's still pretty versatile he can play everywhere yeah uh when it gets to the rockies side of it i like the deal i think a lot of people were shitting on them because you have this situation where you paid arenado however much you paid him like three four years ago you trade him year or two later, and then you go ahead and sign another guy. To, it's similar to Arenado in the way that he plays third base. Uh, Chris Bryant now kind of plays more outfield, yeah. but can still play uh, third base quite a bit. And he signed up for this big, big contract, uh, but then I look at a different part of it is that the Rockies wanted somebody to build around, and you have a guy that you can build around now. Uh, yeah. Chris Bryant's superstar, former MVP, I think that helps them a lot when it comes to that aspect. He broke a curse. Yeah. When you look at the player side of it, though, Craig got his, got paid a lot. And I don't think any team would have given him that much money. But I don't know if I would be willing to go to a team that is down bad as much as the Rockies, uh, especially in that stage of my career. I'd want to go and win another World Series ring uh, as soon as I possibly could. Uh, and I don't think the Rockies go ahead and offer that to him. But if you like, I said, main, I think I think a plaque in Cooperstown is it was the deciding factor here, and I can't blame him. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, but I mean, World Series rings, whatever you can do, whatever you want with that. Chris Bryant, he already got his, so does a good job there. Uh, Castellanos and Schwarber to the Phillies is the last move that we're going to talk about. This is a uh, slam dunk a plus for me. This is the best. These two are the best moves, in my opinion. You needed protection for Bryce Harper. You got great on-base percentage guys hitting in front of them now. They should be competitive in the East. Who knows if this is going to be amazing long-term. Kyle will definitely tell you about their defense, but I'm on board with this. Yeah, I think the lineup turns into one of the best in baseball pretty instantaneously with these two guys. Uh, They already had the MVP. They had Real Muto already and a couple other guys in the lineup as well. Uh, but I mean, defense is part of baseball and Hey, what about the shift? Huh? I'm looking at it right now. This team has zero defense. And I know people are like, Oh, well, all these are hitting home runs or driving runs in and stuff. But you look at these really good defensive teams and that helps. Yeah. The twins didn't do anything when they were, when they were driving in runs that one year, I guess it's just like, like what? Like, go ahead and I, I like these moves I, for the hitting aspect of it, and I think the total would help. It's going to make the Phillies better, but I mean, man, I think just adding a a guy that can play defense would would help as well. So, 
I don't know. They they did their moves. Uh, for the players, though, got paid. Good job. Yeah. Let's get to the layups, the bold predictions, and let's get on out of here. Uh, this past week, or last week, I guess, I had the Clippers over the Raptors, or the Raptors over the Clippers, I mean, and that did happen. Raptors won by three. Scalar had Virginia Tech over Texas, uh, or practically over Texas. He had the spread, but it's a one-point spread. Uh, that did not happen. Then we get to this week. I'm taking the Celtics over the Jazz. Celtics right now, in my opinion, are the best team in the East, uh, and I'm taking them over the Jazz, who I won't say be struggling right now, but they're not playing their best basketball. All right. Uh, I'm going to go with Miami, the Hurricanes, minus two and a half points against Iowa State in the Sweet 16. Um, Miami runs three-point guards, four guards, and a big man, and they are so much faster than everybody. They average 75 points per game. Iowa State does not score that many points. They only scored 54 to beat Wisconsin, 59 to beat LSU, and I think Miami's going to be too much for them. That's not a bad pick. We'll go ahead and get the bull predictions now where I had San, not San Diego State, South Dakota State over Providence. Uh, that did not happen. Just didn't. Uh, Skyler had Creighton over the other SDSU, San Diego State University, and that did happen. Uh, this week, though, I have the T-Wolves over the Suns. Timberwolves have surprisingly been playing really good basketball recently, uh, and so I'm giving it to the T-Wolves and going to pick them to beat the best team in the NBA right now. All right. Uh, I'm going to go with Duke over Texas Tech, also in the Sweet 16 here. On my bracket, this I have the opposite. I have Texas Tech winning, but I'm leaning towards the other way. Duke uh, you know, has the most polished player in Division One basketball in Paolo right now with uh, shooters all around him. And I think Duke's going to be pretty hard to beat, at least in this round. Yeah, it's true. Uh, that's going to do it for episode 80, though. Fun episode, pretty long, about hour 15 minutes. And uh, we talked about everything. Um, another busy week. Exactly. Another busy week. Probably going to be another action packed episode next week. Uh, it won't be next week. It'll be the week after when we have our full MLB preview. Uh, and then the week after that, we'll probably do our full NBA playoffs preview. Ooh. And the week after that, we'll do our mock draft prediction. And then the week after that, or that week, we will have our draft show that we did last yeah, year. Yeah, the draft grades. Uh, where the Raiders aren't picking at all, but Ooh. that's fine. Uh, yeah. And we're going to rank our top 10 kickers after that. <laughs> it's cold, dude. We might have to do top five kickers and punters, dude. Might have to. Yeah. Especially because AJ Cole and Daniel Carlson should be at the top of your list. But that's Anders Carlson. Huh? Uh, uh, All right. You got anything else to say? Oh, Devontae Adams is a Raider. So really? I'll say that one more time. I'll say it one more time. Okay. We'll see you guys next week. One week closer to the draft. One week closer to the finals. One week closer to baseball. Go Jets. Go Raiders.